page 801, Romans chapter 14. We're going to read through from the first sentence to the 14th. God speaks to us by his word. This is God's speaking to you today by his word. Are we ready to listen? Romans 14 verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother for we will all stand before God's judgment seat it is written as surely as I live says the Lord every knee will bow before me every tongue will confess to God so then each of us will give an account of himself to God that's God's word to us this morning Make sure you've got that little bit in page 801 open in front of you. If you haven't got a Bible, put up your paw now and we will get you one because you'll need one. Okay, you guys need, need them down here. Weston, bring us a couple more Bibles, my mate. There we go. Everybody needs to be able to see one of those. The last thing you need is merely my ideas. We need to hear from the Lord. And the way we do that is by hearing from his word. Okay. Good, we are good to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't want to waste our time. We know we need to have our hearts reorientated towards what is true and good and pure and worthy of delight. We need our heads that are so full of our own petty thinking and our selfish desires and our nurtured foolishness to be reshaped by your truth and wisdom. Lord, I need that because by nature I'm a fool. We all need that. 
Please, Lord, would you let the glorious hope of acceptance and standing before you reshape the way that we think about everything, and particularly today, the way that we interact with one another. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brilliant. Well, listen, if there is one place where acceptance should abound, it is amongst a bunch of people who have experienced the saving power of Jesus Christ, which, if you don't know, is a church. Now, I don't know all your spiritual journeys and where you're up to on that walk, but if you are somebody who has named Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, it isn't just simply that you have agreed to a set of things to believe or decide on a few ways in which you're going to behave. It is because your, your very life has been saved by Jesus from a sticky end. And that's why we should be accepting. Put it this way, and I just don't want to score points off this. I just want to do this really gently. I want you to think about... What happened earlier this week over in Manchester? An Ariana Grande concert. I hope you all know what happens in the run-up to that. Uh, Parents tut. I don't want to go there. Why did I have to have a daughter who makes me go? Some of the young ladies who went there were incredibly proud of the fact that they got taken there by their boyfriends. Some of them were just too young to go by themselves. Some of them were 17, 18, 19 and really should have thought twice about going to an Ariana Grande concert because they're too old for that kind of thing. But as and I'm sure you can imagine, as you go towards that concert and you're going into the Manchester arena, people's hearts are not still. Do you know what was happening? I'll tell you what was happening. Contempt and condemnation. I mean, you know the score. You spend two hours getting yourself ready, doing your hair. And the only thing you've been thinking about for the last two hours is getting yourself ready, what you're going to wear and how you're doing your hair. And you walk into an arena and what is the only thing that you're noticing about everybody? What they're wearing and how their hair is. And you're comparing and you're contrasting. And you're going, don't like that. (sighs) Terrible earrings. They're so last year. Look at the state of her eyebrows. She needs proper scouse brows. And so maybe in your heart you sort of sneer and condemn. Maybe in your heart you judge. Maybe, maybe the parents there were, they were sort of judging and condemning and they were like, I can't believe that mother allowed her daughter to dress like that. Or, well, it just goes on like that, doesn't it? Because at the heart of us we are so insecure that in almost any moment we will be judging, comparing, condemning And we'll be doing it in our hearts because we're that insecure. And yet something happened that evening that changed everything. Because by the end of that night, people who maybe two or three hours ago had been judging and snarling at one another and comparing and whispering even in their heart or out loud amongst their gang of people who were jealous or otherwise. Three hours later, all of that got forgotten. And those same people who were judging and condemning... We're embracing because they got out safe. They got a future in a place where some hadn't. Can I tell you that if you are a Christian, you've got out. Not because of your own might, not because you fulfill the stack of deeds, not because you're better than anybody else, but because God in his mercy looked down upon you in, your, uh, uh, in the midst of your sin and said, I love you too much 
to leave you to where that leads. I'm going to redeem and rescue you. And it doesn't come for free. It gets paid for by Jesus. You get saved. That's the big thing that's happened to you. So the idea, the idea that Christians would start going back to that old game of condemning and looking down on people is ludicrous. But here's the problem. We do, don't we? Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if the moment you decide to trust in Jesus, your heart gets totally cleansed and purified and you never have a selfish, evil thought again? I love to tell this story. Some of you have heard it before. It's the story of a US man uh, who was walking through the city late one night and when he came across another man about to jump off a bridge. Okay? Uh, The walker takes up the story and he said, he said to the guy, wait a minute, don't you believe in God? The guy I met said, yes I do, I believe in God. I said, really? Me too. Are you a, a Jew or a Christian? He said, as he stood there on the edge, he said, a Christian. I said, wow, me too. Hmm, I thought I'd better check him out. Are you a Protestant or a Catholic? He said, I'm a Protestant. I said, really? What denomination? He said, Baptists. No way. Me too. Northern or Southern? Northern. Thought it, me too. I said, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, Wow, me too. I need to check this guy out a bit. Northern Conservative Reform Baptist or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Fundal- Fundamentalist Baptist. I said, oh, Me too. This is a coincidence. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Lakes Region. I said, me too. This is incredible. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 Or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, you evil heretic, and pushed him off. Now, of course, that's silly, but you get the point, don't you? It's absolutely bonkers. But the Apostle Paul knew how insecure we are. And more than that, he knew that for some reason, people like you and me can have spiritual amnesia if we're believers, and we can forget the monumental nature of the rescue mission that we have received and been on the receiving end of from Jesus. And we can go mountain climbing over molehills. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain things on which the Bible is absolutely dead clear. It speaks with a clarity. So it says, listen, um, if you're a believer and you, uh, and you belong to Jesus Christ, you, you, you don't go playing around sexually. Our sexuality is one man, one woman, four life. That's the end of it. If you're a Christian, you're a believer in Jesus, you don't go murdering people and don't go saying it's okay to do that. 
You don't go and say, it's okay for me to harbour unforgiveness in my heart. I don't have to forgive that person. You don't get to say that. But there are loads of things that the Bible informs, but there isn't a specific command. And when those things come along, sometimes people can be very protective of their view, their opinion, on a disputable matter. And that's what they call disputable matters. And we can go mountain climbing over molehills. So look down at verses 1 through to 4. Paul goes and he speaks to this church and he says, Look, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Not whether or not they agree with the Ten Commandments. That's, that's there. I'm talking about all the things that sometimes the Bible might be a little bit quiet on. Or else there's some people who have different opinions or it's debatable. One man's faith allows him to eat veg- uh, everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. Do you get this idea of looking down upon contemptuously or condemning, judging people? You see how those two, two things are working there? These disputable, debatable matters, these opinions over Christian liberties... So there will be some people, who, and this is the far end of it, who, who would say, listen, there's loads of things that the Bible is, is seemingly quiet about um, and almost deny that the Bible says anything that we have to really listen to. And then there's people at the opposite end uh, who are saying the Bible is very, very prescriptive and we must be very, very prescriptive. And then there's this big gap in the middle, which is close to where the Apostle Paul is, that says there's loads of things where we've got a degree of liberty. But the problem is, is we don't go about it just joyfully, making good choices. What happens when we're in a church family is those choices and the people where pe- uh, the place where people take their stands and act by conscience, we can use as a place to be condemning or contemptuous. So really, for this church back in Rome, it was really about what was in their cupboard and what was on their calendar. So let me remind you about the context in Rome. Rome was a pagan nation with some people who had travelled from the Jewish Uh, nation to be in Rome and out of that big mix of people in Rome uh, some of them became believers some of them were Jewish people some of them had come from a pagan background and so some of the people from the Jewish background had been brought up with a very prescriptive set of rules that uphold holiness about what kind of food you can and can't eat about what you should do on certain days of the week and what you shouldn't do and then the pagans had been brought up well we just live at large and do whatever we want but all I know is I've been saved by Jesus hurrah Now that makes a terrible mix when you're trying to have a barbecue on a Sunday, doesn't it? Imagine trying to organise a fellowship tea in Rome. You've got the Jews who say, well I can't eat meat because it's it's been food sacrificed to idols and I'm not going to drink the wine because that was part of uh, a pagan uh, religious festival and it would have been blessed in that way, so I ain't going there with that. And it can't be on that particular day of the week because by conscience I can't do that. And they're all like, hold on a minute. Demons and, uh, and religious pagan practices have no power. Jesus is Lord. Eat what you jolly well please. And as for days of the week, this is wonderful. Jesus is my Sabbath rest. How on earth are they going to get on? And instead of saying, well, this is the decision, Paul says, check, check your attitude. Because the people over this side are, are likely to look over at them and go, compromisers. Here I am, I'm really passionate about the glory and the worth of the Lord and I I, I want to make sure I'm I'm drawing inside of the lines and because I love Jesus, I want to live a holy life. And the people over here are going, 
Oh, bless them. They've got so much to learn. I love Jesus. I know he set me free and that's all that I'm bothered about. Let's go live life and love people. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? They're both right until they start either condemning or looking down upon. So Paul, the whole of this part of the chapter here, is to, be, is to say to us, be really, really, really careful that you don't become somebody who is contemptuous, sorry, contemptuous and condemning and sneering, looking down on as if you were the arrogance of, of living out your liberties, or that you're, I'm so much better than you because I'm more holy. Now, what you need to notice here, the, 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 both groups know they're Christians. That's not in, in doubt here. Paul thinks that both groups, the weak and the strong, sorry, the weak and the strong, they're both Christians. So they aren't people over here saying, unless you obey this rule I'm telling you, you can't be a Christian. No, no, it's not like that. These are about disputable matters of conscience and of opinion uh, that they're trying to work through. And I just want to be really clear. There's lots of things that, that influence where you might be. So I'm sitting in this room here, and you lot didn't come, for those of you who've trusted in Jesus, you didn't come to faith in the middle of a vacuum. In fact, when Jesus saved you, you already had a personality slant. Some of us in this room slant towards chaos and think it's awesome. Others of us in this room slant towards discipline and think that's the only way to make life work. Some of us in this room are greatly influenced by where we first came to faith. So if you first came to faith in a church that taught you about Jesus but was pretty strict, you'll just think that's dead normal. Or if you first came to faith in a church where Jesus was preached and you were just like, just love Jesus, uh, you'll be like, what are they getting all that bother about? And then, there's, and, and then there's whether or not you're a first or second generation Christian. And you say, what do I mean by that? People who are... First generation Christians, what I mean by that is they weren't brought up in a Christian home where the Bible is taught. Often when they come to faith, they're sort of, I just want to get as far away as that from that empty self-led life as I could. Give me rules to follow, baby. And they're looking and they're looking for ways to, to sort out because they know what it, the mess or the pain that it's created and messed up. And Give me some things to, to follow. And then you've got other people who maybe their maybe they're dad's a pastor. Maybe their parents were elders in the church. And from the time of that high, they felt, rightly or wrongly, as if it's just like, oh, this Christian thing, it's all about, there's lots of, lots of little rules. I don't see them in the bar. And so they're like, I'm staying as far away. I'm going to live at large and love Jesus. All of these things come into play. Oh, I could mention your upbringing. If you come from an upbringing where... You know, it's just, just don't worry about it, see how it goes. Or if you come from a life will be ruined unless you plan everything down to the last little bit. All of these things come into play. And because we are not God, and because we're so up ourselves, and because we're not as wise as we really think we are, so often the, our preferences, well it's a funny combination of our preferences, and our spiritual understanding at the time, and our arrogance, Mix up together so it's only a moment before we're condemning one person or looking down and, and being contemptuous towards somebody. And what, when you do that, have you forgotten? What have you forgotten? That's a question. What have you forgotten? Well, look down at verse 3 and 4. This is what you've forgotten. 
God has accepted him. The big thing written over this whole situation is, hello, why are you going mountain climbing over molehills? What's the mountain? The acceptance of God in Jesus Christ. He has accepted. Isn't that absolutely amazing? And so here are some of the issues and the places where we get confused about this. It might be in the way that we worship. So there are some people who've come out of a tradition that says you have to have the Lord's Supper every single week, otherwise you're not a proper church. Problem is, it doesn't say that in the Bible. You can understand why people would want that, because they want to keep the, the death and resurrection of Jesus central. But it don't say that in the Bible, so you can't be contemptuous of somebody who doesn't do the Lord's Supper every week. Or maybe there are, there are some churches, and I, in many ways I wish I was part of them. Maybe a bit of a long stab to, for us to get there. But they don't start any day of the week without a prayer meeting. I'm like, that is awesome some of you are like oppressive regime but there are some people who might come to our church and say they don't have a prayer meeting every morning of the week compromisers some of you the fact that we have one every week a prayer week at the start of every term is oppressive it would seem anyway but we'll move on from that i won't bring any more how we teach the bible how we teach the Bible. Some people, you know, in our church, we teach it very systematically. We work through passage by passage because we want to hear what the whole of the counsel of God is to say, has to say to us. And I can put a pretty good argument as to why that may be the case. And then you go to some other churches and the pastor, poor, poor guy, I don't know how he manages to get by week by week, has to feel that he's been given a particular message from God, from the Bible, and he preaches on almost anything that he jolly well feels like, all depending on what he ate that week. Um, listen, I... Okay. How about the way we bring up our families? Oh, don't go there, Steve. So over in the States, one of the things, see, I'll start with a safe one. Over in the States, one of the things that I noticed was people could be either very condemning or contemptuous over whether or not your kids were homeschooled, public schooled, or private schooled. And whichever one you did, you were very protective of. And whichever one you didn't do, you were like... They'll learn. They'll learn. Problem is, you won't find a verse in the Bible that tells you how to school your kids. Oh, you can find lots of good principles that can, invi- can advise your decision, but you won't, find a, a, uh, you won't find something on that. How about whether or not mums go back to work full time? Oh, you're getting close to Steve. Oh, dear. How about what you let your ke- kids wear and when? How about at what age they should be allowed a mobile phone? Okay. What about makeup? Especially if they're boys. <laughs> How about what size family you have? <sighs> Dear me. Well, the most blessed family in the Bible had 12 sons. So I'm in deficit already, aren't I? <laughs> How about politics? I remember last June on. Uh, within the same 24 hours, I had a conversation with two Christians, neither of which are from this church. So, you know, everybody's protect, protect, um, And it went like this. How can anybody vote to remain in Europe and call themselves a Christian within 24 hours? How can anybody vote to leave Europe and call themselves a Christian? Okay, so hopefully I've offended everybody. Good. There's some churches you go to and there's certain political issues and moral issues that it's sort of there's a measure of pressure put on you, not just to agree with it, but to campaign on it. You know, maybe 
I mean, abortion's a massive, a massive issue, and it's a, it's a blight on our society. But you know, you go to some churches, and if unless you are an active anti-abortion campaigner, then you are by necessity just a lukewarm Christian. How about your personal piety? How regularly should you read the Bible? You know, generally speaking, church leaders, because generally speaking, church leaders tend towards the uh, the, the more disciplined end of things, because to get anything done, to lead anything anywhere, make anything... Sorry, I'm making a good, count, good count, uh, case for this. You have to be pretty disciplined. So this idea of, I, well, I'll start every day reading my Bible. Can I tell you, there are millions of wonderful spiritual benefits from doing that, and I feel that when you don't, and I know speaking for myself, when I don't, the day's a lot harder. But there are other people who say, disciplines, that's good. If it works for you, fine. But I just want to... I want to read the Bible when I feel like I should read the Bible. The problem is there isn't, a, there isn't a verse that says one way or the other. Yeah, There isn't a verse that says one way or the other, is there? Now, over all these things, we can have the temptation to be either condemning or contemptuous of somebody else. And what I want you to spot is that Paul, the apostle, as he speaks to this church, he isn't even bothered to tell them what the right answer is. Oh, later on, he'll talk about how you get your conscience reinformed by the word of God. But he says there's a biggest, bigger issue here. The biggest issue here is that we are people who live with the big banner headline over our lives and our thinking, if we belong to Jesus, with the acceptance that we've received from God. Now, that word acceptance is incredibly important. That word acceptance isn't just, oh, I'll put up with them. It's, I'll embrace them. They are meaningful to me because they're meaningful to who the Lord is. So, whoever it may be in this congregation who I just think in some ways either... And I can be, I can be a weak or a strong person on some issues and not on others. And I might view the, the choices that they're making as a danger to the church and they need to sort this one out. Or on this one, I was like, oh, stop being so legalistic. No, 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 no. I suppose I'll just have to put up with... That's not... Nope. Nope. Not allowed either of those responses. Because written over me is a great acceptance. Therefore, I don't just put up with, I embrace somebody. So, what will help our attitude be right? I've spent about half of my time just doing the introduction to the problem, so you get it very quickly, and I probably won't be able to cover all of these. I've got three things that the text says that help us to stop the molehills becoming mountains and, and help us keep the mountains in place. First thing there, look, look down at verse 3. God accepts you both. Verse 3, God accepts you both. Now, I just some of you will be taking this for granted, this word about being accepted accepted by him have you got any idea people how difficult it is for God to accept somebody like you or me we are dripping in our selfishness our foolishness our petty desires our making small of God we think the world is absolutely about us the reason the kids are so squawky in church is because they think the world is about them. And anybody who will not submit to that will get screamed at. The vast majority of squawking that goes on in this church on a Sunday morning is not because the poor child is in mortal danger, in terrible pain, or is in anguish. It's because they're not getting what they want. And we're no different. We just do it in a more socially acceptable way. 
And the Lord looks upon us and says, how can you be in the presence of perfect holiness? How can I accept you? And that's been the problem of the whole Bible, isn't it? How do you give a right standing to people who don't deserve and can't earn and can't get near a right standing? A cleanness, a cleanliness. It's like, it's like taking the bubonic plague into one of those sort of restricted areas in the hospital with all the plastic sheets and, you know, the quarantine zones. We just can't, you, you can't do that. You can't take the plague there. And we spiritually have the plague. And yet all the way through this book of Romans, the message from the Apostle Paul is believe the unbelievable. Not that you can make yourself acceptable. Not that you have a standing on your own, but that Jesus Christ has gone and he's become the plague for you. He has put on your plague. He has carried the dirtiness, the sinfulness, the anti-holiness. He has took it on himself and he has been punished for it. So that we do not face the consequences of it. So that we are made acceptable when we are wrapped up in his righteousness. So we are embraced, welcomed. Now this is amazing in a world that clamours to be accepted on the basis of the fact that its ideas are right or its preferences are okay. We say, no, 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 we know you want to be accepted. We know the ugliness of rejection, but the grounds of acceptance are not because we forced you to agree with that we're okay or that your ideas are okay. The grounds of acceptance is that Jesus is okay and he has done what is needed to give me a standing. Look there at verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And Jesus has said, if you will let me be your master, I will make sure that you stand on that last day before God's uh, throne of judgment. That is what I will do. So if God accepts you, and if God accepts the person sitting next to you through faith in Jesus, and if they're part of the church family, or if it's people, Christians, who love Jesus and have trusted him as Lord and Saviour, and they come from a different church and have got a different tradition or different opinions on these disputable matters, and the first thing that we see about them is the ways in which they're different because of these little opinions and disputable things, and we sit there and either be condemning or contemptuous of them, then effectively what we're saying is, well, just because God accepts you doesn't mean I have to. And we're forgetting how hard it is for God to accept either you or me. God is much more accepting than humans have ever been. I know that's not the caricature of who God is, is it? I had this discussion with somebody when I was at the uh, Liverpool University mission. And there was somebody who was talking about all the ways in which they thought God was condemning and, and would not accept. And I said, have you got any idea? The Lord Jesus put on skin, declared the truth, lived the perfect life, went to a cross to make sure that anybody... No matter their background, no matter their behaviour, no matter their thoughts, no matter their speech, no matter where they've been, no matter where they would go, that they could be part of his eternal kingdom. He's done everything and he offers it freely. He doesn't ask for anything in return. He says, just receive. Receive this acceptance. Receive my embrace. Please, I need to tell you this because this is the thing that you've forgotten all week. And if you hadn't forgotten it, life would have been different. You need to remember that God's disposition towards you, if you're a believer in him, he's not just putting up with you like you do with annoying Christians, which is wrong, by the way. 
He's embracing you. He's glad you're here. When he looks down upon you, he doesn't go, oh, I've got to put up with their junk again. They're so high maintenance. You may feel that about yourself. But right this second, the Lord acts to welcome, to embrace. Acceptance here means welcome and embrace and say, you're all right with me. I, you're precious in my sight. You're valuable to me. I'm holding you near to me. That is what God did with you this week, irrespective of your performance. Some of you are saying, Steve, I, I, I'm sorry, I just can't believe that you don't know how much I've disregarded him, not read my Bible, I've had bad attitudes, I've been round with the missus, all of these things have gone on, I've been throwing myself into this, this and this. I'm giving him a second thought. And I'm saying, yes, that makes his acceptance even more amazing. That through Jesus Christ, you are welcomed, accepted, embraced, not begrudgingly, but delightfully. Therefore, if that is the big thing, the big mountain written over our lives, how puny, petty and pathetic we look when we go mountain climbing over molehills. I don't care what's in your cupboard and what's on your diary. I love you because Jesus accepted you. Now, I want to have that attitude towards people in my heart. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't. And so when I do, I say, Lord, please, please help me to accept in just a small way that echoes how you have accepted me. Second of all, verses 4 through to 8, and because I've been talking for a while, I need somebody to, to read it. Um, when we, uh, another reason why we keep the mountain the main thing is because whoever we're thinking of and tempted to condemn uh, or be contemptuous of, that person belongs to God before he belongs to me. Somebody read for us verses 4 through to 8. Uh, yeah, 4 through to 8, please. Somebody read that. Who are you to judge someone else's servants? No master, he stands or falls. Stands. The Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. God's one day is special. Does so to the Lord. Give thanks to God. Upstate, does so. None of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live to the Lord, and we die, we die to the Lord. And we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Brilliant, thank you for that. Now listen, in the Bible, uh, Scripture uses loads of images to talk about his people being gathered, his gathered people. So one of the ones we've been looking at recently is that the local church is a body of believers. And of course, the thing about a body is uh, it's got lots of bits that are all connected. There is a genuine real connection there. Sometimes it's a family where there's a genuine connection. Sometimes it's a building where the very nature of the bricks that go together to make it a building, they've got to connect together and be connected. Otherwise, they're just a pile of bricks. Okay. So all of which tell us that, and we have to get this mindset, and it's anti-individualism of the West at the moment, is that although we don't own each other, if we believe us here, there is a sense in which the Lord has meant us to belong to one another. Do you see the difference? And it's very subtle. That's why church family is so important. That's why being a body of believers is so important. We have been given one another by the Lord with a real connection. But... I must not forget that whoever I am connected to in my church family, before that they are connected to me, they are first servants of the Lord. And it's in that order. 
It's when I think that the people in my church, I'm supposed to conform to my image and make them all be like me and be very angry with them when they don't make them like me. My job is to be a part of the body who all of us are growing up and becoming exactly what the Lord wants because, well, we're his servants. You guys aren't there to be conformed to what I think you should be, even though I happen to be a church leader on this one. So when I'm tempted to condemn or show contempt and go, oh, they're wonky in this, they're backward in this, I have to wind my neck in and go, actually, hold on, before, it's not my job to rule over and change that person because they belong to Jesus. And I suppose that's difficult, isn't it? Because sometimes when we see our Christian brothers and sisters getting themselves into all kinds of jams or by their own personal choices and opinions, sometimes having a bad influence on other people and not being helpful, I have a moment where I have to decide what acting in faith looks like. Does acting in faith, jumping in and trying to take control of the situation, or does uh, does acting in faith look like believing, hold on a minute, first and foremost, this person belongs to the Lord, he's the master, he's there ahead of me, I don't have to either sit back in silence, fold my arms, get cross and stamp my feet, or take some sort of action. Uh, I have to admit, this is one of the biggest things that I I learned on my sabbatical, and it's it's a bizarre thing, it's to enjoy (laughs) what the Lord is doing at that time in somebody's life. And the reason I hadn't enjoyed it before was because I was too busy thinking about what the Lord should be doing in that person's life. Because I'm not slow to make a list. I'm a pastor of a church and in some sense I've my job to shepherd souls. Maybe some of you as parents feel like that as well. You've got a really tight list of what the Lord should be doing in your kids' lives right now. Rather than sitting back and enjoying what he might may be doing but you've missed because you're too busy attached to your own list. Now that doesn't mean that we're not involved and it doesn't mean we don't ask questions but it means that when we don't get our way we're not condemning or full of um, uh, of contempt in one way or another. So here the expectation in verses 4 to 6 it's very clear. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So one considers one day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You spot the assumption there. The assumption there is that people who are believers are making choices about everyday things with the Lord in mind. In fact, that comes up later on, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. Why? Because this is what marks out a Christian. A Christian isn't somebody who just comes along on Sunday morning and says, I want God to bless my life. No, a Christian is somebody who realises that they've been saved from themselves and saved from a lost eternity and says, all of my life, Lord, whether I live or whether I die, I want it to be about you. And which of us have ever lived up to that? None of us, but we're trying, aren't we? And we want to encourage one another to do that, don't we? So a Christian is somebody who's saying, I want my life to be about Jesus. Not somebody who's simply sitting there and going, I want to attend church so that Jesus will smile and bless my life and and sprinkle fairy dust on me. No, I want all of my life, the way I interact with people, the way I think about my future, the way I make choices, the way that I spend my money and set my calendar. I want all of it. I want to live or die by who Jesus is, his reigning kingdom, because guess who I'm spending eternity with? He's called Jesus. So I'm going to start what is in the future. I'm going to start it now. So it assumes that even people who are doing that will land in slightly different places. What do we do? 
We have a lovely, gentle conversation, but we don't condemn or be contemptuous. Let me give you two practical examples. Okay. So, let's say somebody uh, somebody invites you to a party. They're one of the people in the church family. And when you arrive, there's a whole stack of bottles of beer out on the side and a couple of bottles of wine. Okay. And we think about what the Bible says. And we say, well, the Bible certainly doesn't prevent us from drinking alcohol of any kind. It prevents us and speaks out against us abusing alcohol and being drunk. So if you drink to get through the day or you drink uh, to the point where um, you're just not able to think rationally uh, and you're off your head, that's straight up forbidden. And there's no question about that. But there is the possibility, and it's open to conscience, for Christians to be able to enjoy the gift of a glass of wine or a, or a bottle of beer uh, in moderation to the glory of God. So you're praising him and not just serving yourself. And so you turn up at that party, and well, I suppose it depends on where you're at, doesn't it? So some of you, as you turn up at that party, you'll go, oh, Christians should know better. There are people here who might struggle with drink. What kind of message does this send out to our witness? Why on earth do these Christian people put out all this drink? And then on the other hand, you might have the person who organized the party saying something like this, saying, I just love the liberty the Lord has given for me by conscience to be able to bless other people. I want my non-Christian friends to be along, people who aren't yet believers. And I don't want them to think that, we're, that Christianity is all about not doing certain things. We, I want them to know it's all about salvation in Jesus. And if I start making little rules about what they can drink, then they're going to totally misunderstand. And so you've got two people who are coming from totally different ends. Both of them agree you're not supposed to get hammered. But one's conscience is in one place and one's conscience is in another. Who's right? Who's wrong? Well, if you want to know the answer to that, we've got to come move through a little bit further in Romans 14 and 15. But at this point, what the Apostle Paul would say is, remember, you're both the Lord's servants. He's given you a conscience. Don't use this as an occasion to bite at one another, condemn one another, look down upon one another. Or another example. Another example. Um... We'll all agree in here that if you're a Bible-believing Christian, engaging in any kind of pagan worship or devil worship is not right. Agreed? Do we have anybody who's like, mm, not sure on that one? Okay, we'll have a word later. But what about when, when um, that pagan festival known as Halloween comes around? Okay, what about when Halloween comes around and somebody at church says, do you know what, I'm going to throw a costume party because Halloween's on and I don't care what costumes they kids wear. It's what an occasion. I can get to know people, get to know um, people who aren't believers. And can, their kids can come, parents can come, can share the gospel about Jesus. And some of the parents who are, who are Christians get invited to the party and they're like, well, actually, if it's a Halloween party, I don't want my kids to go. Um, I know there's not going to be any devil worship, but I just don't want to be sending out the message that um, making trivial spiritual evil is okay, because it's not. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? You know what you heard from me on both? Both the party thrower and the non-goer to the party, both were thinking about it. Both, hopefully, Lord willing, were praying about it. Both were trying to do what their conscience said in order 
that they may uphold the glory of Jesus one way or another. And if they're trusting that both of them are, I've got another master called Jesus, then there won't be any condemning or contemptuous attitudes. There might be a conversation about it. It might even get a little bit heated, but who cares? That'll be brothers and sisters working together to try to say, we want to live wholeheartedly for Jesus because he's the one who's given us this kind of welcome. So the big push here is it's not, it isn't my job to conform somebody else to my understanding of what it looks like to serve Jesus. They just serve Jesus. Now, it's different when somebody's just not making any choices whatsoever and they're just living at large and doing whatever they please and they clearly haven't even thought about how... We get to go walk up to go with somebody and go, Bible, hello. You know, where's Jesus in this choice? And if Jesus is totally absent, then perhaps we can be a blessing to that person and they can be a blessing to us. But the big push here is so obvious, isn't it? Verse 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. But if we live... We live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And why do we do that? Why do we cast our life upon him? Why do we say, I'll either live or die for the Lord? Answer, because he lived and he died for us. And it's no difficulty to give our lives away to somebody who loves us and does that much for us. So I've got another point, but we're not going to do it. Because time has gone. We're going to sing about the grace that is unmeasurable. We're going to sing about a grace and an acceptance and a welcome and an embrace from the Lord. Whose value we see only in a sort of veiled slight way right now. But if we could see with spiritual 2020 vision, if we weren't spiritual amnesiacs, we would be delighting in grabbing hold of and it would shape the way that we interact with one another all the time. When the introduction's played, we'll stand and